Welcome to the Portrait Church Podcast. My name is Jay. I get to serve as a pastor here at Portrait. And in this new series, we are inviting you into Advent at Portrait Church. And Advent is a season where we sit in the tension as the people did in Jesus's time, waiting for the arrival of the King, the Messiah. And so during this season, we wanna explore themes like hope, joy, and peace, and love. And I pray that you enjoy this series as you consider the true meaning of Christmas and this Advent season. If you would like to know more about our church, go ahead and find us online at portrait.church or find us on social media. Hope to see you soon, and I hope you enjoyed this series. In 2015, Pixar and Disney came together. They released a movie called Inside Out. So anyone seen the movie Inside Out? Okay, so you're familiar. So the movie is set inside of the mind of an 11-year-old girl. It's like, oh, how's this one going to go, right? Uh, Many of you that have teenage girls, you're already um, feeling the pain of probably what this movie uh, embodies. But... What happens in this movie, I think, is really fascinating, uh, the, the story that's told. Because there are four, there, there are main characters of joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. These are, in the movie, they're representing uh, this girl Riley's primary emotions. The story revolves specifically around these two emotions of joy and sadness, because they're embarking on a journey trying to restore what they believe is like the emotional balance of what Riley went through because she went through a very significant moment in her life. And so what happens is joy is essentially the one controlling Riley's life. She's at the control panel controlling everything and and Riley has what's called these core memories. And what happens is sadness begins to touch one of these core memories. And if you've ever watched the movie, you know that every emotion is freaking out because they do not want sadness to touch a core memory. Because up until this point, every core memory was rooted in joy. So all of a sudden, the entire movie shifts into this panic mode because sadness is touching everything. And oftentimes, what I felt like the movie represents is what we tend to do in life as well, is that we try to avoid sadness at all costs. So we suppress and we just say, oh, let's just choose joy. Like if I see another one of those Pinterest memes about choosing joy, Some of y'all got it in your house right now and I kind of offended you, I'm sorry. I guess you will never invite me over or you'll take it down when I come over, I don't know, I'm just kidding. Please invite us over, especially if you're a good cook. But we do similar things on our way to trying to pursue a happy, joyful life, suppressing sadness. A joyful life does not mean that sadness will not exist. A joyful life doesn't mean that we suppress tension, that we suppress pain. Joy is actually not the absence of sadness. But so often we confuse joy with happiness. We confuse joy even with extroversion. Many of you are introverts in the room and you've been told that you are not a joyful person simply because you're not extroverted. Joy should not be confused with that. Joy is not the presence of a smile. It's easy to believe people who are smiling. One of the things we talk about at this church is, hey, we don't necessarily just want you to bring your personas in here because it's easy to smile with a persona. 
But when you bring your person, sometimes joy doesn't actually look and feel like smiling. Joy is not some shallow version of optimism. Optimism. There is a Harvard uh, psychologist named Amy Cuddy who uh, was made famous for her teaching to fake it till you make it. Spend a few minutes with your arms behind your head, legs up on your desk, she argues, and you'll feel strong enough to negotiate a higher salary. But can I be honest with you? With joy, it doesn't work like that. You can't simply fake it till you make it. Joy cannot be manipulated. And sadly, in some cases, many of us don't even attempt to try and manipulate joy because we're drenched in sadness. And sadness begins to become more foundational to us than joy does. And many of us, if we are honest, do not feel like joy is accessible to us. Because you're looking at your circumstances and, oh my gosh, Jay, how would I pursue joy? How would I even experience joy if you've known what's happening in my life? Like Riley in the story, joy is foundational to the human existence. It's foundational. We were created for joy. We were built for joy. It is foundational to the human experience, but also... There's many other emotions. There's many other things that we go through. Pain, sorrow, suffering, confusion, waiting, doubt, that is also part of the human experience. I mean, consider the realities of our world today with mental health and depression. I'm not talking about those that have been clinically diagnosed with mental health because we believe that that's a serious issue. But also, I want us to consider the reality that I think many people struggle mentally, struggle even with depression because they've been given a misdiagnosis of what joy actually is. So when you don't have the correct diagnosis of, or the correct uh, avenue on how to pursue joy, then you start finding other ways to try and cure it. And what happens is because of a misdiagnosis, we don't have the right cure and what we are aiming for in pursuing joy. And so oftentimes, like I said earlier, people tend to confuse joy with happiness. And the problem with that is oftentimes you can describe joy with this state of happiness, but joy is much deeper than that. Happiness often is tied to circumstances, but joy, joy spoken about in the Bible is actually transcendent. What I mean by that is it transcends all situations. It transcends all experiences. It transcends everything. Every pain imaginable, joy in the Bible described, lived out by Jesus. It transcends every element of our lives. Consider this, James 1 verses 2 and 3. It's a passage where the author is encouraging believers to find joy in the midst of trials. He says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Isn't that fascinating? Like, think about it. Consider it pure joy when y'all going through something. Like, that, 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 that's not... Honestly, that, that, that's not gonna even bode well for even, even many people in our world and cultural moment because that sounds very like, well, you just don't know what I'm going through. 
Like consider it pure joy. I'm not talking about, when we're talking about joy, and this is why this positivity, uh, this happiness mantra that people tend to live by, we're not saying that like, oh, that that shouldn't be the default way of communicating. So, oh, sister, you're going through something hard. Hey, consider it joy. Like you'd laugh because you know how it feels. You know how it feels when people don't sit with you long enough in what you're going through to even know what's happening inside your soul. So we can't just run directly to considering it joy, but what he's saying here, what James is talking about, is he's giving us a picture of what this transcending joy can do. The whole book of Philippians, many people call it the joy book, which is so fascinating because the apostle Paul is writing to them from prison. He's emphasizing this idea that's found in Philippians. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Paul, he's in prison. He's been beaten. And yet still he's in this state writing what people call the joy book, transcendent. Second Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 2. It's a passage talking about the church in Macedonia. And I find it fascinating. Again, it says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This church that was going through extremely harsh conditions and trials, the The scripture is saying that despite facing these trials and poverty, they demonstrated overflowing joy that led them, this poverty-stricken church and community that led them to be very generous. What kind of joy is this? And then in the early church in Acts 5, the apostles were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. After being persecuted for their faith, the apostles found joy in being counted worthy. Here's what that doesn't mean, because some people manipulate stuff like this and say, well, I'm just gonna go be a jerk to anyone and I'm gonna call it persecution because of how people treat me. And now I'm gonna count it all joy because suffering for Jesus. Now you actually are just a jerk. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's not... That's not suffering for Jesus. That's self-righteousness being called out by how you treat other people. That's not what he's talking about here. You see, and in this Advent season, we're waiting for the arrival, anticipating for Jesus of Nazareth, the long-awaited Messiah and King. We get to reflect on this unexpected way in which he came and this nature of his humble birth this unexpected way that Jesus came. And I thought Reuben last week, if you were not here, he did a phenomenal job reminding us of the fact that the angel, when the good news was being proclaimed, came to the most unlikely people, shepherds. And it says in Luke 2, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. 
Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Listen to that line. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That all people just should remind us. Like one of the things I love when people talk to me about um, portrait and they say, man, how has it been? Has it, has it, it has it, you know, been everything you expected. I'm like, look, we didn't even expect people to show up the first day. Yes, it's been everything we've expected. Or no, it's not, sorry. Um, And the thing that has brought me so much joy, to be honest with you, is that when I consider what the Bible says about all people, when I consider what the Bible says at the end of the book, all tribes, all people, all nations, like I can honestly say, I feel like all people are represented here. Like the, one, of the, one of the best comments that we get and the number one thing, I put it in the top two or three that people tell us the feedback that we get about portrait is they say, man, for, for one of the first times when I walked in here, I saw the entire community that's represented of the Inland Empire. I didn't just see one social class or one monocultural uh, group. I saw all people. Oh my gosh, that brings us so much joy. Because when you talk about the good news of Jesus, that's the kind of thing that can unite all people. That's the, one, that's the thing that can do it. And so he says that I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. This term, bring good news, as you read it in the scriptures, it's characterized by what we know as the gospel. And the gospel is simply this. It's good news that God, our father, the creator, out of his great love for all of us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell. And he's come to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and enthronement on our behalf. To establish his kingdom through his people in the name, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And why he does this, it's for God's great glory and our profound joy. This is the good news of the gospel. And those that place their faith in this news are empowered to become everything that God had intended them to be. They they have come, uh, intended them to be all the joy, both as individuals to experience joy, both as communities to experience joy through the power of his spirit. And so this news is for all people. And we have to remember the context that this good news was being brought to. A people that had been waiting. This is why we call Advent season. They had been waiting to hear from God for 400 years. Silence. Waiting. They had heard about what he had done. They had heard all the stories from the ancestors and those that lived before them. They had heard and they had been waiting. And all of a sudden, to a most unlikely people, the shepherds, they get the message of a baby that's going to be born to the most probably unlikely person, a teenage girl who was a virgin. And then they were getting the Savior this Messiah, this coming king that they had heard about would come, but was silent for 400 years, comes as an infant, vulnerable baby. You would have thought that as word spread about this news 
As Jesus grew and as people saw the miracles, the good news would cause them great joy. And for some, it actually did. But even as Jesus grew up and even as he would live out the miracles, many people did not see him for who he was. Yet how, when this good news had come about the savior who had come, and the reality is many of them thought Jesus was gonna come in a different way. So when Jesus comes riding into his triumphal entry on a donkey, that doesn't look very king-like. But guess what they said? They still said, Hosanna. They still said, rescue us now. But many scholars say many of those same people were the same people a couple days later that were saying, crucify him. Because he came in such a way that no one would have thought. And just like Jesus, joy does not often come how you expect it. For us today, many, many times Jesus does not show up how we like it. Trust me, I am a firm, I, am a, a, I have been a victim of Jesus not showing up how I would like him to be, <laughs> right? I use that term lightly. But he doesn't show up often how we like it. And so we don't pursue his joy. We often pursue things that make us happy. And then many, we don't tell the truth when many of those things that we pursued that made us happy, because let's be honest, they did feel good in the moment, and maybe even for a little bit, but oftentimes things that make us feel happy, happy are temporal and they end up betraying us. And so the best advice that I have and the encouragement that I see as we consider reading God's word and what, is it, what it says, what he says about, about seeking joy is this this morning, I want you to stop looking for joy. I want you to stop looking for joy. Josue likes that clearly. It's my hype man in the back. <laughs> Stop looking for joy. Because, because of the fallen condition of humanity, we are very bad at trying to navigate life on our own ability. We're very bad at it. We have been turned inward and because of our sin and selfishness, we often think we know better than God. And so as the age old saying goes, we tend to look for love in all the wrong places. We tend to look for joy in the wrong places as well. We tend to look for joy in this first place of self. Oh man, the world. Listen, I think this uh, modern day philosopher, he, I think he really summarizes one of, the, one of the dominating narratives of our world today. He says, your real self may be hiding somewhere. Look for it within. When you find yourself, you can freely be what you want to be. That's one of the dominating narratives of our world today. You wanna find purpose, you wanna find joy, you wanna find what makes you happy, look inside. Look inside. Everything you find will be there in your desires. There's a reason why it's no secret that the sexualized self is leading, is one of the most dominating things leading our world today. Like who you want, sleep with who you want, do whatever makes you happy, look inside. Look inside. 
And I think that part of the reason why that's been a dominating conversation, because I don't want to, because most people, when you hear stuff like that, you naturally go to the LGBTQ community. And here's, here's, here's one of the caveats that I want to make sure that we sit in the reality of, is I think Christian communities have not been a safe enough place for people, especially in communities like that, to actually dig deep inside to understand what they're feeling and what they're going through. And so when we as a, as, a, as a big C church have not made it a safe place for people to, 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 to communicate and verbalize what's going th- what they're going through, then sure, you know what's gonna happen? A byproduct of that is they're gonna go hear from people who are gonna affirm them and sit with them. And, they're gonna, and those people are gonna tell them, hey, everything you have is inside of you. And I think part of the reason we see issues today is because the church Man, we just don't know how to be empathetic towards people. We don't, like, I don't, I don't understand it to, personally, but I, I think a lot of it, it's pride. A lot of it, we think that, um, man, we have this truth and we just need to make sure everyone knows this truth and this truth, blah, blah, blah. Man, Jesus, had, Jesus is the truth. He is the way. But when he engaged with sinners, y'all, he still allowed there to be proximity to him. He came and put on human flesh so that he could be in proximity to us. And so I need us to understand that yes, we need to be able to see and diagnose these things because at the end of the day, I just don't want you to know truth. I want you to know joy. Because knowing truth, Jesus is gonna lead you to a type of joy, but oftentimes we miss the, uh, the giving of compassion, the giving of empathy. You can give people ears and don't fully agree with them. I do that all the time. I have four kids, y'all. I give them my ears and I don't agree with probably 80% of the things that they say or ask for, even friends. You know what I'm talking? So at the end of the day, we have to be able to discern and understand what the world is saying. That when uh, it, it's not just it's not just in the the sexual ethic, it's in the political ethic. Everything you need, it just whatever you believe, find it in yourself and find where you can, a community that you can identify with. And everything is geared towards you looking at you. And here's the thing: the Christian view of self is an outward looking self. The Christian view of, of, uh, is an outward, it's a self-sacrificing, I am looking out for others. You see, it be, like, like true joy, the Christian way, can be found when you actually get more joy in seeing other people joyful, not just you. You living in such a way that helps produce, helps other people get a clear picture of joy, not just you living a happy life. I'm all about caring for the self. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about it. That's why I get haircuts. That's why sometimes if the budget allows, your boy will definitely get a massage. I go, I, I go, to, I go to counseling. I'm all about pursuing. Uh, man, I have a sweatshirt that says Jesus and therapy. I think it's a great combo. Gospel-centered therapy, people that are going to point you, yes, to understand the things that you've gone through in your past, in your life, the things that have caused you to become who you are, but that can't lead you. You cannot let self-care lead you to self-centeredness. You can't, that's, that's the danger of what we're living in right now, is please take care of yourself, explore those things, but don't allow you to become self-centered. Because that's not where true Christian joy is found. The other place we look for it is in others. 
And this is, right, so I just said, we're supposed to be outward-centered. We're supposed to be caring about the joy of others. But when, whenever you try and find joy in a place that was only meant for God, you will always come up short. You will always come up more bitter. You will always come up more unfulfilled. Many of you know this all too well. You have placed joy in friendships. And friendships, uh, if, if you don't talk about expectations of friendships, if you don't talk about the shared mutuality of friendships, if you don't talk about how we're going to be in proximity with each other, if we don't talk about the shared weight and what we are going to hold in this friendship, you are going to be disappointed. And many of you know that. I, I have talked to so many people since COVID, since the whole political burst of how many people have lost friendships over some of the most smallest things. And what happens is we get so disappointed and we get so disheartened many times because we place our joy in those things. We place our worth in how many friends we have and in us not being alone and us being able to hang out with people. If you're married, you know this as well. Like my wife and I, we had an amazing uh, wedding and then we went to Jamaica like three weeks later, right? And like you would have thought it was amazing, but then she was like, oh, Jay's not great all the time. <laughs> She's like, man, you Jamaican me crazy, boy. Like what's going on? And I'm over here like, yo, did you go on that Bob Marley tour? Because you kind of acting a little funky right now. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, oh, Some of y'all got that. Some of y'all didn't. I know, I know who had a past in this room. <laughs> but some of y'all know this. Some of you know this. Because you put your joy in your significant other or in pursuing this relationship. And what happens when they don't satisfy you the way Jesus only can, you end up bitter. You end up upset. Man, you, I, I'm going to put them on blast right now. Larry's, can y'all stand up real quick? Can y'all stand up? I want to give you a true picture of joy, what it looks like for others. 40, you can sit down, boy. This ain't for you. You can sit down, boy. Trent, I love you. I love you. I love you. In two days, 43 years of marriage. 43 years of marriage. Y'all can sit down. I just wanted to put y'all on black. 43 years. That to me is a picture of what it looks like to seek and find joy in each other's happiness. Right? To not, like even in talking to them and, and learning, oh, after 43 years, the joy and the love that they have. They showed up at the Micah house this week serving, they're living their best retired life. And there's so much joy there's so much joy is because you could tell they first find their joy in Jesus. So much joy. Many of you have to come to the realities that in marriage and in some of these relationships, you are trying to fill this void of joy in the other person and they're going to disappoint you. You're going to go home. The dishes ain't going to be done. Ain't going to be enough salt on the food. You're going to be upset. But we can't. We, we, we can't look for joy in there. Another one that really gets us in, in, in the whole idea of others is you try and find it in your kids. Many of you I know are a byproduct of parents who had placed their significance and value in what you did and what you accomplished. So you didn't bring them joy. That's why you have a strained relationship with a parental figure. Like I think one of the 
one of the things as parents, you in the room, that we have to be very aware of is that we cannot seek validation and joy in our kids. You can't seek validation and joy in whether your kid sang the song right or if he knew it or it's not like, but we get so concerned with what other people think. Social media has, has completely uh, taken this to another level. Scripture says that comparison is the thief of all joy. And many of you are living a life that you don't even know you're not even controlling. Other people are controlling it for you. Because you look on the screen and you're like, yeah, I should do that for my kid, or I should do that to my house, or I should do that to my bedroom, or I should do that for my life. And I should, like, you have no idea. You're not being led by God, but you're, you're comparing to what other people are doing. And then oftentimes, if you are honest, not all the time, you're trying to find joy in it. Because you're looking at everybody else's highlights, but you didn't see the fight before. You didn't see the strain before, but you saw the highlight. We can't find joy in others. The next one where we can't find joy, we can't find joy in the world. And what I mean by the world is not the people of the world, not, not like we are called to be a people who make all things new. We are called to be, uh, we are called to be set apart people who when people look at the church, they say, wow, these are the most joyful people of how they live in the world. But what I mean by the world are the, the humanistic systems that are at odds with the kingdom of God. The whole idea of, of ambition and perfectionism and up into the right. I love Pete Scazzaro. He has this, he has this chart. And he talks about the world's discipleship and Jesus's discipleship. What he says is the world's discipleship tells you to be popular. Jesus' discipleship tells you to reject popularity. Be popular with me. The world wants you to be great. Jesus says, no, reject greatism. Be great with me. The world wants you to be successful. Ambition is not a bad thing. But when your ambition outweighs God's kingdom agenda, then yes, it could be very dangerous because you could be so concerned with what people think of you, how many followers you have, how many subscribers, how many people are responding to your thing, how many people at work like you, how many, whatever the case may be. But Jesus' discipleship says, reject successism, be success with me. The world's discipleship says avoid suffering and failure. It goes back to the whole, just seek pleasure, seek what makes you happy. And no, Jesus' discipleship says embrace suffering, embrace failure, be faithful to me, be faithful to me. We cannot look for joy in the things of the world because they will always come up empty and it might feel good for a couple of weeks. It might feel good in the moment. It might feel good even for a couple of years, but eventually it is going to return and it's going to leave you empty and upset. And then the last one, you can't find joy in religion. You can't find joy. What do I mean by this? What I mean when I say religion, I want to make sure I'm, uh, I'm specific here, is this whole idea of performing for God. Performing out your religious duties. Key word on that word performing. There's this, there's this word, if, uh, those of you that maybe are new to church or new to the faith, there's this word called Justification. And what justification is, it's God's once for all declaration of forgiveness of your sin. 
It's forgiveness of sin. It is, think of of a courtroom. Think of God being the judge and you stand before him. We all stand before him guilty because of the sin and our rebellion towards him. Because of the fact that we said, God, we think you're holding out on us. We're gonna do it our way. We're gonna choose what we want, how we want it, when we want. Because of sin, because of the way we treat other people, because of the way that we act, we deserve to be guilty. And, but because... I have, many of you in this room, have placed your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save us, save humanity from their sin. God pounds the gavel, being the judge, and he declares not guilty. A one-time statement. He doesn't need to keep saying it because once you put your faith in him, he takes your rap sheet, your guilty rap sheet, he takes it, he takes it away, he puts it on his son Jesus, and he takes Jesus's perfect rap sheet, and he puts it onto you. This beautiful, what we call the great exchange. This not guilty verdict, we now receive. That is what's called justification. The problem is we get justification mixed up with sanctification and sanctification is this. It's the ongoing transformation of becoming more like Jesus. So what happens is in Philippians uh, 1.6, it says this beautifully. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion into the day of Jesus. What that means is for all of us, our life, we are going to constantly be transformed to becoming more like Jesus if we cooperate with Jesus. And the reality is justification is a one-time act. Sanctification is an ongoing process that involves our cooperation with God. And the mistake that you and I make, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, the mistake that steals our joy is when we seek joy from sanctification instead of justification. When you seek joy in sanctification, what often happens is you say, God, well, you see how I'm performing, right? You see, I've done all these things, right? You see, I've done this. Like, are you happy with me? Is there gonna be more joy? But what ends up happening is when you seek joy off your sanctification, oh, what happens when, when you're getting sanctified, when you're becoming more like Jesus, it doesn't always often feel good. And so then what happens when you, find, when you try and find joy in your sanctification, you end up having questions like, well, God, can you still love me because I did this? Can you still love me? Can I still show up to church even though I was watching this last night? Can I still show up to church or can I still show up to this group or can I still show up to this thing even though I did fill in the blank? We have to make sure that we are placing our joy in the one-time ultimate decision that Jesus said to those who put their faith in him, you're not guilty. You're not guilty. We cannot place confidence in ourselves and our abilities. We must place it with him. And at some point between self, others, the world, religion, you and I are bouncing between finding joy in one of those things. Maybe it's not, maybe you're not finding it in one, but I'm, I, if you're honest, you probably could be trying to find it in another. And so we need to make sure as we end here, 
that we know we're to experience the type of joy the Bible says transcends all circumstances. And that joy is found when you look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, one verse two, listen to what Jesus did. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this part. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see that part? It says that Jesus set joy before him. Why? So that he can endure the cross. So that he could endure the cross. He didn't find joy in the event or the circumstances of the cross. He found joy in the guaranteed outcome. He found joy in the guaranteed outcome. There was no joy when the nails were driven through his hands and feet. There was no joy in the lashings that he would receive, the spitting, the saliva, the, the, the harsh words that people would say about him. There was no joy there. But the joy was set before him when he was thinking about the freedom that you and I would have in order to follow him and be reconciled to him. That is why he endured the cross. He set joy before him. And that is why I believe joy must be a focus before it's a feeling. You catch that? Joy must be a focus before it's a feeling. It must be a focus that you and I have on Jesus. Because when we focus on Jesus, guess what? A byproduct of that is joy. But when you and I try and go find joy ourselves in our way, how we want, many times we miss Jesus in the entire process. Tim Keller said this, Jesus was putting himself into our lives, our misery, our mortality, so that we can be brought into his life, his joy, his eternal life. Joy is evidence that God means more to you than anything else. You catch that? Joy is evidence that God means more to us than anything else. It's a cultivated way of seeing the world. Just like those of you that are very sarcastic, you see the world through a very sarcastic lens. Those of us that struggle with just pure negativity or maybe even paranoia, it's a cultivated way of seeing the world. And the follower of Jesus, in order to have the joy of Jesus, needs to cultivate a way of seeing the world through joy. Joy is an inward affection that finds confidence in Jesus and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will continue to do. This type of joy, if we have it, will allow those of us to embrace the sufferings of the world. They'll allow those of us to embrace what it means to be human, to, to embrace uh, and move past pain and hardship, to sit in the metaphorical 400 years of God's silence when we are waiting for him. We're able to embrace life knowing that perseverance and endurance is possible if we focus on Jesus and we receive joy. 
And for us, we desire to be a church that is marked by joy. Scripture talks about people that complain all the time. Scripture talks about those that are constantly complaining and grumbling. It says, you're not being an example to this crooked and pervasive world. What's really, I think, going to cause people I mean, even just giving someone a a free cup of coffee because we want you to experience the joy that there is a God who saw you this morning, who wants you to know that he loves you. Oh, the joy that it brings up in people. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would be a community that is relentlessly pursuing joy. That in this Advent season, that we would see our sin that we would remember what Jesus did and that we would rejoice with gratitude. It is very hard to not be joyful if you're always grateful. It's very hard to like, like imagine like having a grateful heart. Many of you know how to be grateful in a moment, but many of us, God is calling us to be grateful people and the way that we can cultivate the joy that Jesus brings is through gratitude. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we can read and study his word, even through prayer and sitting with the very words in scripture, we can see a transcending type of joy because we're pursuing Jesus with gratitude. And so this morning, friends, I end With the word, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the city of Redlands, there is a Messiah. His name is Jesus. Cheer up. You're far more worse of a sinner than you actually dare believe. But you are far more loved than you ever dared hope. 